last week and you know it's one of those interesting things everybody we love to celebrate the resurrection sunday but it's always like that next week can we still celebrate resurrection and believe that the lord walked among um, his disciples and people saw him over 500 people testified of seeing the risen savior and that's where we carry on the embodiment of what it means to be a christian with that being said we are going on in the book of romans this week and we are going to look at what it means to understand who god saves who god can save what is the kind of person that god saves and this is going to be a particularly interesting sermon because I think it, in, it dwells within the whole complexity of the gospel. I, sometimes we think that the gospel is the thing that only redeems our soul, that is only meant for certain people of certain times, but what we learn and what we're going to learn today about the gospel is that the gospel is for all people and all people for all time, and God is for his people, and only those of us who are his people are his people. And the beautiful thing that we learn today is that anybody can know him. And so coming back to Romans this week, we're going to see Paul is laying some really big blows today. I like to try to title the sermon something that encompasses everything that we talk about, everything that the text will say. But this is one where the title is somewhat accurate, but it doesn't completely grasp the complexity of what Paul is wrestling with today. And so I just kind of settled on who can be saved, who can be saved. Now, the reason for that is that we will see out of this text without Christ, no one. It's really simple. Without Christ, no one can be saved. So I don't want to waste time because there is a lot to unpack here. But to begin our text effectively, I want to start from the last passage we actually left off in in Romans in chapter 2. So if you remember, we ended in Romans 2, but I want to go back to Romans 2 and 29, and then we're going to run all the way through Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. So if you go to Romans chapter 2 and you look at verse 29, it begins by saying, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? No. By no means. Let God be true, and though everyone were a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our righteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? Their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not shown. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare ourselves to jump into the word, God, this is a really complex issue that we're going to look at today. And God, at the end of this tunnel there is a light and the light is the truth of the gospel which reveals to us that all men though condemned have the same equal opportunity to be saved and redeemed in you and God there are so many implications that that redemption and that restoration has in our lives and we just want to walk through that and we pray that as we leave today we will leave with a hope a hope in you it's in Jesus name we pray amen and so verse 29 ends here with a reminder by what Paul actually says and Jews actually looks like. And he is establishing that it is the person who is changed from the inside, not the outside. Now, why again is there a focus on the Jews themselves? This is something that we see in this theme as he's writing to Romans. Well, it's because there appears to be some challenge for the Jews who are also in the church to grasp their standing with God, having realized that they essentially have double revelation. And what does that mean? Remember last time we talked about that all men know that there is a God and that the law of God is written on their hearts. And so it said, even those who did not have the law of God were held accountable to the law of God because it was on their hearts. But the Jews not only had the law of God, but they also had the law of God written on their hearts. And so they have double revelation of the truth. They had the law, but then God, like he did with every single one of us, wrote it on their hearts. And so with that, you may think, well, the crux of Paul's argument here is in this central phrase. This question that he asks, he says, are the Jews any better off? Are they any better off because they have received this revelation in two ways? And the point that Paul has made and the point that Paul is making is that we are all Jew and Gentile equally lost. We are all equally lost. The Jews are not any less lost than the rest of creation just because they received the law. They are not any less lost because they were God's chosen people. In fact, you can argue that their heightened awareness to the law reveals the true depth of their sin. 
Because, yes, they did have it written on their hearts, but they also had it written in the Ten Commandments, and they violated that law in two ways. The reason this is really important for us to understand is that if the Jews are not at a greater advantage, even though they had the law, then no one else is at a greater advantage to be redeemed, maybe not because they're Jewish, but because they were born in the right neighborhood or because their parents make the right amount of money or they put them in the right school. There is no advantage to any of us when it comes to coming into the knowledge of the truth. And that is all of Paul's point here. While certain people may be at a greater advantage in society because of those factors, that is not the case in the kingdom of God. And I don't want anybody to miss this message. Paul is using Jewish people as a whole, but let me use people groups as well. No, you are not at a better advantage because you come from a certain race. You are not at a better advantage because you come from a certain demographic. You are not at a better advantage because you spend a lot of time in church. He says in the beginning, what advantage has the Jew? It would be unfair, wouldn't it? Did they have a better advantage, a better opportunity at salvation just because they were born into the right family? You're right. It would be unfair, and, and I go even as far as to say it would be unjust to think that some of us have a better opportunity at salvation because of where we were born, to whom we were born, and the circumstances to which we were born. But see, this is not the liberal message that we are given. This actually says, as opposed to us trying to give everybody equal opportunity, God says everybody starts from the same floor, and that's sin. Everybody starts from the same floor. Doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're black, doesn't matter if you're young, if you're old, if you're smart, if you're dumb. Everybody is equally lost. This is really important. And he says, what value to the Jews is their circumcision? What if some of them were unfaithful? He says, does that nullify the faithfulness of God? Now, what does all this mean? I was recently watching a movie called Tar that Christy hated. It was a very good movie. And in this movie, it's this lady named Lydia Tar, who is the foremost, like, she's the best female conductor in the world in this movie. And she is really sound in her music, extremely talented. And every time she goes up and conducts and she's, you know, in front of this orchestra, she demands perfection. And it is no doubt that if you make a mistake, she will address it very quickly, very fervently. But you start to realize as the movie goes on that she thinks that because she is so talented, that morality doesn't apply to her. She believes that the same expectations that she has for everyone else should not be held to her. She believes because she has this great talent that she's at a greater advantage than everybody else, but she will eventually come to realize that even she can't escape the requirement of the law. Y'all, this is Paul's point, and we really need to make sure we understand this. 
Just because the Jews were God's chosen people, that did not mean that they were free to do whatever they wanted. And that is why he says, what if some of them were unfaithful? Just because you are a preacher's kid or just because your parents are Christians or just because you were born going to church, do you think you have an advantage over a person who doesn't have those same luxuries? No. And if you think that you are at a greater advantage because of that, you don't understand the gospel at all. Because what you're saying is some people are more likely to be saved because they were born in a higher status. Y'all, that is the antithesis of the gospel. The truth of the gospel says no matter where you are, no matter where you come from, no matter the status of your parents, no matter what they did or what they've done or who you are or who you were or what you're doing or what you've done, we all have the same opportunity because we are all equally lost. You don't have an advantage. If you sin, does that mean that because of where you grew up or who your parents are that you will escape the judgment of God? No, absolutely not. And that is Paul's point. But again, he's placing this in juxtaposition against what the world normally does, because I think we all know that's actually not the way the world works. It is actually the son of the police chief that doesn't get arrested and prosecuted. It is the talented athlete who actually doesn't have to go to class and make good grades because they're a talented athlete. Essentially, what we learn is the way that the world system works is the complete opposite of what God does. In our world, it's all merit-based. Can you do it? Are you good enough? Can you afford it? But in God's economy, it's not those who can afford it. It's actually that none of us can. It's that none of us deserves salvation. He said, what if they were unfaithful? What if people who were born in an advantaged position, what if they still sin? Does that nullify what God has said? Absolutely not, Paul says. And to hammer this point in, he actually quotes from David in Psalms 51 when David is confessing and repenting for his sins. Now, to give some context, I actually want to back up a little behind where Paul quotes and start a little ahead. So he says, in Psalms 51 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Why is Paul quoting here when communicating that no one is blameless when it comes to sin? Because think about what David would have meant to the Jewish people reading this. David was their hero. David, in their eyes, could do no wrong. And there was no one compared to him. But Paul quotes him after confessing one of his most egregious mistakes. And look at what David said. He says in his confession that God would be justified in his words and blameless in his judgment. What does that mean? He means that God would be right 
to justly punish David's sin. More importantly, even though David was the one handpicked by God, anointed by God, called from being a shepherd boy to be king, even he having that status could not escape the judgment of God. Y'all, let me, let me just be clear about something. Because I have a lot of friends, and this is not to besmirch any of those friends. I think God calls us all a plan in different areas, different things. But one of the reasons that we wanted to plant in, a, in an economy and a demographic that wasn't thriving is because a lot of times the gospel is not clearly presented in underrepresented areas. And let us think about the ramifications of that. See, if we think that the gospel just redeems our soul but not the whole of who we are, then we're actually missing the point. Does the gospel save your soul? Yes, but it also redeems the way you think. It also redeems the way you act, the way you live, the way you use your body. And so let's put this in perspective. In all of the world, sin reigns on different people differently, but specifically in demographics like ours and in the context in which we have a church, one of the things that we see is a lot of poverty. We see a lot of single motherhood. We see a lot of abusiveness, and we see a lot of drug issues. And what we believe, why we plan here is that everybody needs an opportunity to hear the gospel. Everybody needs to hear the gospel because the only thing that can remedy what is wrong with everyone, the rich folk and the poor folk, is the gospel. How does it redeem everyone? Because there is a reestablishment of values. Of course, communities that are impoverished don't have the same values regarding marriage and life that people who know the gospel do. So what do we do? We don't share the gospel. No, we go into those communities and we share the redemptive hope of the gospel. And we tell them, yeah, you're lost. But you, you aren't any less lost than the people over the mountain. It's a different lostness. And it affects you differently. But they lost too. They need the gospel too. That's what the hope of this gospel is. So what's the message? There are no favorites with God. God does not favor you because you were born in a disadvantaged position. So he's not loving you more than the person who's born in an advantaged position. Likewise, God doesn't love the person born in an advantaged position any more than the person born in a disadvantaged position. Because what did Jesus come to do? The Bible says that Jesus came to set the captives free. Well, who are the captives? Everybody. Everybody's captive. Everybody is enslaved to sin until we come into the knowledge of the truth. And if even David does not escape God's judgment, then no one is able to. And it's all a part of God's plan. So maybe I need I need to rephrase the question of the sermon here. Maybe it's not who can be saved. Maybe it is better understood who needs to be saved. Who needs to be saved, y'all? And there, there, that's where we need to land. 
Everyone needs to be saved. It does not matter where you are in life. It does not matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're white, if you're young, if you are old. You need to be saved. To what advantage is anyone? None. And so Paul throws a theological wrench out there. And this is one of those haymakers that he just throws. I'm like, dang, Paul. He argues that if all of us are born lost, if all of us are born depraved, if all of us are born sinners, fallen, he says, then is God wrong to punish sin? He said, we're all born lost, so why is God even punishing sin? This is something that we need to wrestle with as believers as well because there are going to be people who challenge you with this. If we're all lost, why is God punishing all of us? Let's try to walk through this. We are angry that God punishes our sin, but let's reflect. That sin nature that we all still wrestle with was first introduced to us, as we know, by Adam. We read it last week. For in Adam all die. Yes, because of the sin of Adam, sin now reigns in our bodies. And every one of us has to live with the weight of that sin bearing down on us in this world. In our homes, in our health, the effects of sin rain down on all of us equally. And as Paul says so carefully, but truthfully, because of this, because of sin, Every person is condemned from the point of their birth. That beautiful little baby that you raise is a little reprobate. A beautiful, cute, little sinner. Born in the image of God, but still shaped in iniquity. That little sinner needs to be saved. And so what a way, a depressing way to end that story. We are all condemned. The moment we are born, we are condemned. But that is not how that story ends. And this is where Paul is driving all of this. For though we are all equally condemned, all can likewise be made alive through and in Jesus Christ. Though death has reigned in all of us through Adam, many are made alive in Christ. And God's just response to their sin is death. But look at the riches that we have found in Christ as a result of Adam and Eve's fall. Now, Paul is clear. No one should go around sinning and saying, look at what good and glory God can bring from this. But his greater point is that even in our comprehensive state of sin, God is still good and just to respond to our sin. And it is that same God who pronounces condemnation on us for our sin who pronounces righteousness on us because of his son. From the great sin of Adam, God has brought us the great salvation of Christ. And who needs this? All of us. When do we need the gospel? The second you come out of your mother's womb. And this is one of the major points of the gospel that is so difficult for us to grasp. 
Every single one of us wants to believe that we are born inherently good. And many of us tend to believe when their child does some sort of act that they disapprove, that it must come from some outside source corrupting them. It's, it's all that TV you watch. It's that game you're playing. It's that music you're listening to. It's those friends you hang around with. But the Bible says that when a person is led away into sin, they are led away because of what they desire. You can bring in this moment right now a big plate of bacon and put it in front of me. I'm talking savory, smelling good. I won't touch it because I don't eat pork. I won't be drawn away to it. But now you bring a big, fresh carton of blueberries, and I just might stop preaching, go down and eat that carton of blueberries. Because my desire is different. When a person is drawn away, it is not because of the things around them. It is because of what is inside of them. That's why certain people can drink alcohol and never get addicted and somebody else can drink it and become a lifelong drunk. One person can take drugs one time and think, oh, I don't want this. And another person become a lifelong addict. Because all of us are created in sin. We have all been shaped in sin, but the way we sin and our desires are all different. People, many people tend to believe when their child does something, there's something else corrupting them. And many of us likewise believe about our own selves, that it is the world that ruins us. And there is no acknowledgement that the seed of sin is planted deeply within all of us. And Paul quotes the scriptures here when he says, none is righteous. He confirms it. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. No one does good. No, not even one. You're one of the ones. So am I. What is Paul's point? All are born lost. No one has to work to be lost. It is our default position. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why is this significant? But it is because it shapes everything we believe about redemption. If we are all being influenced by the evil in the world and being corrupted by it, then we believe that the gospel is what everyone else needs. I'm corrupted by what everyone else does. Those people, what else? Y'all need Jesus. But when you understand that the truth of the gospel says that I am born default position in sin, it ain't just that y'all need Jesus. It's that I need him. I need to be saved. And the truth is that if you believe that redemption is for everybody else, then you think redemption is for the kids up the street, not for your child. But the truth is that none of us is righteous. Not me, not you, not my kids, not your kids. And this is the perfect setup for the gospel. What does Isaiah say? He says, all we like sheep, every single one of us has gone astray. We have all turned everyone to his own way. We are all pronounced guilty. 
Because we all, at one point in our lives, turned away from the truth to our own path. But thanks be to God that it isn't how this text finishes here. He goes on to say, And the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquities of us all. All have turned away, but on him the Lord has laid the iniquities of us all. What does that change for us? On my own, I am unredeemable, but with Christ, I am redeemed. And this is why, upon hearing what the requirements of salvation would be without Christ, what do disciples say? Who can be saved? If we had to do all of this to be saved, who can be saved? And you know what Jesus says? With man, no one is impossible. But with Christ, with God, all things are made possible. And for the person that you have been toiling over, I'm talking about the person that you have been earnestly praying for, longing that they come into the knowledge of the truth, then you know that there is hope for them. No one is worse off than you in your sins. And that means that the saving hand of Christ can pull anyone out of their own sea of sin. I'm reminded of the elderly woman who had long prayed for her son that was rebelling against the truth. And as he rebelled, she yet continued to serve him. She continued to love him she continued to pray for his salvation. And this was much to the confusion of other people. They couldn't understand why she wouldn't just give up, why she would continue to suffer long with her unrepentant son. And she would always have the same reply for them. She said this, Suppose I and another person are drowning in the ocean. And out of nowhere, a lifesaver is thrown out of the blue, and I clasp on to it and swim to safety. She says, and suppose I turn to that person, still drowning, begging me to throw them that lifesaver and say to them, well, you've been in there long enough now. You should be able to get out yourself. She said, if I had just come from that same sea, what would motivate me not to throw the very lifesaver that pulled me out of that sea right back to them? She said, no, I would immediately toss it back to them knowing that but for the grace of this lifesaver, I too be still drowning. Y'all, the promise and hope of this text is not just that the gospel gives us hope, but it reminds us that as Christians, we must be missional. We have to be about the business of our Father. We have to narrow this down all to a simple maxim. If Christ can save me, 
then anyone can be saved. If Christ can save me, then he can save anyone. And our hope in the gospel is that those that we love who do not know him, in our families, in our jobs, in our communities, we must earnestly pray for them. We don't stand on the boat on the shore and think, I got out of the water. I'm good. I'm not drowning. We throw that lifesaver out over and over and over and over again with the hopes that one day, by the grace of God, they too will grab hold. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you for the reminder that we are lost by default. God, that we are not at a greater advantage, nor are we at a greater disadvantage than any of those in the world. God, we have all gone our own way. We have all strayed and gone our own path. But it is only through the righteousness of Christ that we can be made whole. God, we can look around us and see the brokenness of the world. We can look around us and see the disproportionate effects that sin has on all of life. But if we believe that the gospel is as true as we say we do, then we know that it is working, it is active, it is moving, and it is able to save. So God, motivate us those who know you, to be about your business, to share the truth of the gospel fervently and consistently. It's in Jesus' name we pray.